Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ah, hello everybody. Welcome to Pilot Episodes. And as always, I'm joined with our three pilots. But before I introduce them, please remember you can go and find us on Twitter at, I think, Pilot Episode Pod. And one of these days we'll get some other social media channels up and running. So, who shall we start with? Why don't we start with the guy who is not going to be future uh, uh, chief of the air staff, because I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> well, Goddard, you just said how... he's not going to be chief of the air staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, we can't call him. No, yeah, no, yeah. I, I can confirm I won't be chief of the air staff. Unless they, free, Unless they all die. Unless they all die. I was actually watching the film today. Uh, what was it? Uh, Designated Survivor? And I, was th- I was thinking of you. Uh, I was actually thinking of you, Godders. Uh, that's not the one with it. What everyone? Yeah, everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I uh, think no, to be I'm honest, good. JB, the fact is that if you say the person that's definitely not going to be chief of the air staff, actually, that's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, so that's actually all four of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, something that, that that we've all got in common. God, is what have you been up to since we last met up in Farnborough? Uh, oh, well. Th- so we haven't been actually together for a while, have we? Um, I've fleetingly seen various people, but in aviation terms, um, I met up with Parky at um, the funeral of Jeffrey Wellham, which uh-huh. was uh, a quite an emotional event, actually. Maybe yeah, I we can talk, talk more about that uh, a bit later. Um, and I actually visited uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Smithy, over at Biggin Hill in their heritage hangar the other week. Um, and just uh, he invited me over to go and have a look around. He was doing um, passenger trips in a two-seat Spitfire, which is clearly Parky's day job. Um, and I just had a look around this amazing hangar. The boy, both the boys have, uh, have seen it, but just some fantastic aeroplanes in there, including this ME109E, an Ooh, original. Wow. That was probably airborne at the same time as P7, which was also in the shed, the uh, P7350, the Battle of Britain. Memorial Flight Spitfire, mm-hmm. which was in there being refurbished. Um, both of these airplanes in the same shed that could have been airborne at, at the same time in the same battle during the Battle of Britain. So uh, had a brilliant time over there um, and watched a bit of the air show as well. So uh, actually, for a bloke who flies a desk on a daily basis, a little bit of aviation recently. Now, I'm not going to let you just get away with that before I introduce the other two, because you have done some flying. Didn't you sneak onto the Royal Flight or something? 
<laughs> so that was on the way back from Jeffrey Wellham's funeral, where uh, I did have a train ticket, but there happened to be a BA one four six going back to Northolt. So um, I asked the pilot nicely, and he uh, and he let me sneak on. Well, uh, I, I must admit I'd forgotten about that, and had amazing views of London after we'd landed at Coningsby, and then flew back at about um, I think it was about ten thousand feet back to London, and the feed in meant that we were ten thousand feet over Northolt. And then descended out over the towards the east, over the centre of London, and then back round over the top of Wembley, in on an ILS on the uh, on the Westley runway. So that was a lovely view. That's um, excellent, isn't it? That day, that really is who like who you know sort of stuff there. Oh, it was definitely. I just went. Any chance of a lift back? And he went. Yeah, of course. There you go. Simple, <laughs> simple, <laughs> yeah, isn't just, it? Just pop on board. Oh, what? No problem with yeah. You. I'll, I'll so my there. second. <laughs> <laughs> my secondary way of getting back was actually flying with Bucky, who was flying his wife back from uh, from Caldrose as well. Is that I thought right? that was a little bit more dangerous. It, it was the most random collection of aircraft, a, a BAE-146 sort of four-engine jet airliner, a Spitfire, a four-seater Robin with me and my wife in it, and then Disco in his father-in-law's Cessna. And we all got airborne <laughs> about the same time. It was pretty weird. Well, it was definitely the magnificent men in their flying machines. Yeah. Well, that voice that you could that, that you could previously hear, uh, hear there is the pilot that time forgot, but we certainly didn't. And we missed you, Pop Parky. We, we missed you in Farnborough. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to say I heard the podcast, but obviously I couldn't be bothered. But oh, that's nice. Really good. <laughs> that's really touching. JB, that is just such a fantastic, you know, that it's not something I've heard Parky referred to before, but it's absolutely hit the nail on the head. The pilot that time forgot. You have summed Parky up. <laughs> absolutely magnificently we can just end the podcast now and i'll be happy there also go. knowing parky i know he's listened to every second of both of those of uh, course he podcasts. has got, like, look the, the the amount of direct oh, messages lies i haven't <laughs> the amount of, look, if not involved then we're dead to him look <laughs> the amount of direct texts that that he sends praising mind mind few skills I know for a fact that he listens to both of them, so I, I, I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Parky, what, 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 what have you been doing? What have you been flying? Have you done 70-odd trips in a Spitfire? Come on. Uh, bizarrely, I did my logbook today, and in three weeks, I did 87 trips, which oh, I think wow. is a record. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been pretty busy, but um, has got. Is that not illegal, Parky? No, you've got to have one day off in the previous eight. All good, but it's really trips a day is our norm, so they they don't half add up. Sorry, when you say a trip, are you flying someone? Some of them have been in the single seater information, but uh, yeah, the majority have been yeah flying boys in the two seater out of heckle. Now, what's your favourite? Someone in the back seat, making sure that he's uh, he's doing it properly. No, yeah. they're there to smash him around the back of the head to wake him up. <laughs> now, no, it's been awesome. As a, as almost kind of a, like a semi-tour guide, I guess, of a Spitfire, do you have anything in particular that you like to tell your uh, your guests that are flying? Um, you know, just it, it's it's brilliant. You know, you just let the... Uh, you, you're introducing the, <laughs> the best aircraft ever. It's an easy sell. And I still know my way to Dover and back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is that your line, Parky? Is that uh, hey, the, works as the Spitfire tour guide that time forgot? <laughs> ah, come on, <laughs> Spitfire tour guide. 
what, what, what is the, what is the crescendo of, of, of your trip, Parky? Come on. The crescendo of my trip? Yeah, do, I mean, to give him a roll? Is it a loop? I don't think we should go there. The best bit, yeah, better go there. The best bit's down by the thing. Although, having said that, if you get a few decent puffy clouds just to play with on the way home, that, that oh. tends to float everyone's boat. That's brilliant. Uh, how, how hard are you allowed to fly the Spire? How hard? As in, like, do you do any aerobatics? Was it just there and back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, if the uh, if they're up for it, do a do a victory roll in the overhead. Do a loop if they want. Wow, wow. I uh, a loop. Yeah. Are you, yeah, you, you BFR only, Parco? Absolutely. <laughs> right. So I, I guess you'll be sort of keeping a uh, the the requisite. Uh, amount of distance away from those clouds. So yeah, five hundred foot. With, I guess you mean your your offset by the requisite. Five hundred feet dunk, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in sight of the surface at all times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you remember that time, Parky, where we um, we were doing a little bit of playing around on the way back from a sortie and ended up getting into a dogfight? Dog, dog what? Fight. Dog fights. <laughs> oh, my it's all right, God. Mason. You weren't Thank the boss. Oh, Jesus, maybe you were the boss. <laughs> it was more heavy petting. <laughs> uh, oh, dog wrestling. Dog wrestling. Oh, you see, but uh, the... JB, JB, genuinely though, as God has said, the uh, the main event since we uh, since we all last did one was. Um, was dear old Jeffrey's uh, Wellham's funeral? It was uh, it was unbelievable. Maybe we're all dit on about it, but it was uh, it was uh, an unforgettable, you know, uh, moment in in my life. Yeah, well, actually, I think I think that is an excellent idea, and we will talk about that. But before we do, I'm going to introduce our last pilot, a man that's only seen a Mac number higher than one on his razor. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dunk. <laughs> There's only seen what? <laughs> I like that. How long did you take, you think, to come up with that one? Look, I'm comedy gold. I can, I can do this all day long. <laughs> comedy gold. You're like <laughs> Alan Partridge. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be my call sign. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to listen back to that because I didn't really hear what you said. <laughs> well, you'll have to sure wait for it, it to go up on iTunes. The, the thrust of it, Dunk, is you've never been supersonic. <laughs> well, that is true. That is true. Uh, so, yeah, don't still t- happy, mind you. Don't tell me about what uh, what you've been up to. Then, have you been instructing instructors? And what have I been doing? I'm at Linton on Ooze at the moment, so okay. I'm not um, in my normal place. I've had a great day today. I've uh, I've been off uh, instructing around the Lake District at low level, uh, and uh, but sort of in the past few weeks, I've been over at Valley doing instruction there. Uh, I also got, so we got weather recalled whilst I was in the Hawk, and it was on a Friday. I was supposed to be going home in a Tucano, uh, but uh, thunderstorm and lightning came, and it meant that uh, I got stuck at Valley. So um, I've had a few sort of uh, aviation trials and tribulations, which has kept me busy. Uh, and then I, I was on holiday as well, which uh, sadly meant that I missed a few. Um, and I think that there was... Uh, there's a bit of karma about because um, I, I thought, right, I shall go out. I'm going to have a, a bike ride and then I'll come and have a beer uh, for Jeffrey. Uh, and on that bike ride, I fell right off and smashed myself up like a good. One. And all I could think of is I bet Jeffrey's had a little chuckle to himself as I bounced down the road. <laughs> now, is that, is that the little fall you had the other day and you posted it on, on WhatsApp? 
Was it on WhatsApp? I did put some pictures uh, on something or other, yeah, but I took Yeah, that, that wasn't a little fall dunk. Are you, <laughs> have, I mean, that looked like your entire leg was a scab. Oh, yeah, I've only got one leg now. <laughs> <laughs> it did look like it smarted a bit. Yeah, it did sting a bit. Although the worst bit was the... Um, <laughs> the French guy in the car behind, we're digressing a bit, aren't we? But uh, he was clearly, he's sort of wide-eyed, so it must have looked fairly spectacular. I bounced <laughs> down the road. I ended up in a ditch, and just to add uh, insult to injury, uh, there was a thorn bush at the bottom of the ditch, and the way I bounced, it just landed right on my ass Can with I... thorns right up. Right. Oh, right Jeff up, did right. do well on that one. Oh, yeah, Jeff definitely pushed him he off in the right place. He had a little chuckle to himself in the big crew room in the sky, wasn't he? Well, he said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm just going to carry on. He said, no, no, you can't do that. You've got to go and get it seen to. So, uh, yeah, he was right. The worst bit about it was getting it, Spraying the disinfectant. Oh, oh, that stings. I assume it is a, um, a very well attended event and one of the last veterans. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely a few get fewer, but um, he was just such a mate of, of all of us, really, just the most wonderful, wonderful bloke. And I mean, the, the night before, we had to sort of fly out, as we mentioned, after the funeral, for various reasons. So the night before, we all got together and uh, met up in the pub where Jeff used to go boozing and uh, we just had a mini session. His family all came over and it was just this impromptu booze up, which was just brilliant. There was a picture of sort of on the wall and where he used to sit. It was kind of like he was with us and I just know he would have so approved of it. So, you know, when we you were... say mini sesh, Parky, someone told me you couldn't walk. It, well, yeah, it was slightly, I had to, um, you know, I had the honour of, of carrying the coffin. And, and I know he would approve because I had a stinking hangover. And then <laughs> I had to do a bit of a eulogy at the church. And I, my tongue was sort of stuck to the roof of my mouth. And uh, it was uh, it was difficult. But, um, yeah, I, I've just, I just sense he would have gone, well done, boys. That was, that was a good effort. And there was a, a great fly past at the end of it, you know, when... We lowered Jeffrey into the ground. You know, the uh, the last post was played. The uh, the Padre did his did his little speech, and then Andy Priest came over in the Martin Line Spitfire to the second. You know, the the timing Goddard's was just brilliant, wasn't it? Unbelievable. So, and you know, you, you, it was just the most fantastic send off. And I know we would have approved. So, yeah, that was it, really. So, Hangover just, at all. just tell me this, then, Parky. I mean, why? Why is it the that you and Jeff were so close? I, I, I just I, I didn't actually realise that. You know, you sort of get on. I don't know what it's strange, isn't it? But uh, you know, met him probably eleven, twelve years ago, and then we constantly you bump into people at, at shows and at all the do's, and uh, yeah, I would just annoy him with my presence, and um, <laughs> he was just brilliant. He, he just his his sense of humour, the charm, it, it was. Just he was just a, a wonderful mate, and uh, you know we'll all miss him. But what a life! And uh, say I think we get a good send off. Yeah, and JB, you know, Parky's doing himself a bit disservice there in terms of uh, you know managed where he said he managed to get through a, a bit of a eulogy. Um, I'm never normally complimentary about Parky, but he made me blub. You know, I'm not an overly emotional person, but um, uh, there was three times during that day where um, I definitely, you know, almost had to take a... One was Parky talking. There were three eulogies, one family one, um, one from uh, the uh, Battle of Britain, uh, Battle of Britain um, Veterans Association, 
um, and uh, one from Parky. Um, and Parky, you'd been on 92 as well, hadn't you? Um, yeah. Originally, same as Jeff. Yeah, so Parky gave a very personal pilot perspective on uh, on Jeffrey, um, which hit all the notes, um, you know, mainly probably because he was hungover, you know, and looked a bit teary himself. Um, <laughs> That's but in this in this tiny little church in this little village in um, in Cornwall, and the church itself was packed with I guess, just local people, really, and family uh, as some of the Royal Air Force, we were lucky enough to be in there, but you walked outside the church and it was lined all the way wow. around with, you know, residents of the local area, other military personnel who, who were just going to turn up on the day. Um, and then there were two aspects in the, in the actual burial, you know, that Spitfire fly past, uh, I definitely something caught in the back of my throat when that spit came over um, just as Jeff had, um, had reached the, uh, reached the last part of his travels there. Um, and then, then the final bit was just, uh, I went up and saluted, um, as we were all walking away and his little, I guess, great granddaughter, um, came running over to the, uh, uh, to the grave and said, bye bye, grandpa, Jeff, and then walked off. And I was, I was stood with like disco at the bats. time we both got up and, and saluted and I, uh, we both had to take a knee at that point, but then it was a really good chat and and you know chat in the pub afterwards and and really good to catch up with so many people so uh it was i, I don't know what you thought parky but you know emotional but a huge privilege to be there um and uh you know what a wonderful life i reread first light over the last couple of weeks you know on the way down there and then subsequently afterwards and i hadn't read it for a few years you know, we talked about it but i'd forgotten what an amazingly well written and poignant book that is that took me right back, you know, all the way back to flying training as well. So just flipping brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to just change the tone a bit here because I, I wanted to mention First Light. And I just think um, Parky mentioned earlier on that they all went for a good drink prior to the funeral. One of the things which really struck me throughout that whole uh, whole book was, A, the consumption of tea. Uh, everything had to be sweet and wet. I, mean, I, I absolutely love that. But also the amount of drinking dr drinking that, the, um, that, the, that, that they all did. I mean, there's one thing to give a eulogy uh, with a hangover. It's another thing to fight the Germans. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, Jeff was, he, he had his uh, 19th birthday in the, in the battle. So yeah, he, he did, was so he? young and... That's how he earns his nickname, you know, Boy Wellham, because Brian Kingham said, don't get tight again, boy, because um, tight was getting a bit of ming-monged in the pub. And, uh, you know, they had to sort of, I guess they were just completely unwinding at the end of the day. You know, boys were getting killed and it was just a way of letting their hair down. But it must have yeah, added a little bit to the fatigue after, <laughs> after you've been in the pub and then you woke you know, at four in the morning to get back on you know it's first light to be back on ready to scramble again it's and, amazing uh, isn't it? and they did you know week after week yeah uh, that's the one thing which i felt was so staggering because i mean you couldn't imagine anything even remotely close to that situation now what uh whether it be you know the actual uh you know the the, the combat situation they find themselves in or you know the fact that it's okay to go to the pub at night and then get up in the morning and fly a spitfire yeah, I think 92 were renowned for being quite a, quite a, a bad lot, as it were. I mean, they got the most kills. They were a very, very successful squadron. But right I think dis discipline was uh, 
was was a minor issue. One of the the new bosses that came in, the first thing he did was to stop them flying in their pajamas. No, <laughs> brilliant. That what, that what, can't so, be, that I mean, can't you, be right. You, you yeah, mentioned that, but to, um... they used to just put their number ones over their pajamas because you know, <laughs> literally straight out of bed, and then you know down to the Spitfires for alert, and it was like, it doesn't it doesn't look right, boys. Stop that. No, I mean, there's, there's, our, right. our friends Tony Cooper, who oh, yeah. flew Spitfires on D-Day, said he did his first mission on D-Day in a Spitfire, and there's a photo in his logbook. You know, apparently the only photo, um, not many people were taking cameras flying, but the only photo out of a Spitfire on that day, and he was wearing his pajamas then. He yeah. said, you know, so early in the morning it was cold. Um, where, do you remember we talked no. to him about that? I, I think. Like, I, I know. It was, but what happened with that is that Tony. So that wasn't the only time. He there's a fantastic story about a uh, a, a dawn patrol that he did over to Belgium, um, and uh, on the way back, <clears throat> they they must have they were shot up. You, you know when they were doing the uh, the sweep that they were doing, he went back above cloud. And he said, and then my engine just completely seized. Just the, the propeller stopped dead. So he was above cloud and he thought he doesn't really know where he is, but he thought, right, I'm, I, I think I'm over the channel. And I think the closest land actually is back towards Belgium. So he turned back towards Belgium and he came out of cloud at about 2000 feet, which isn't particularly high when you haven't got an engine in a Spitfire. It's about, I don't know, 20 seconds, 25 seconds before you, you mm. you're down on the ground. So he came out of cloud and to his surprise, he was over land. And not only that, he was over an airfield. So he sort of set himself up on finals before realizing that the airfield had been trapped. So big poles had been put in the ground. So he had to, on short finals, roll left, land in this field. And he got out of his Spitfire and he was he set fire to it because that's what you're doing. And as he was setting fire to it, a half track pitched up and he turned round and it was an English captain. And the English captain said, you're bloody lucky. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, 24 hours ago, these were German lines. He said, hop in, I'll give you a lift. So, so Tony finished burning the, the spit, got in this half track, and the guy took him back to the local uh, manor house. Where chateau, wasn't it? The chateau, yeah. And the, the lady of the house was there. Her husband was off fighting. But he said as he was introduced to her, he realised he was in his pyjamas. <laughs> and so oh. she then very kindly... Um, gave him some clothes to wear and just in, in, in an amazing um, final part to this story you'd think well how do you get back from Belgium well the next day a DC-3 Dakota came and landed on a on a, on a field clip nearby he climbed into it and got flown back to the UK and was back on the squad and back on ops two days later good lad that's awesome now, amazing isn't it yeah, now, yeah here's what I want to know right God, is, you've been a station, right? You were a station yeah. at Lossiemouth. Lossiemouth, is that right? Correct. Okay. What, what, what do they fly out of there? Tornadoes? Well, when I was there, it was, uh, we had one squadron of tornadoes and, and three squadrons of typhoons um, in flying terms. There was all sorts of other things flying out of there all of the time. Yeah. Okay, so I know this isn't in no way analogous, but what would you think if uh, one of the tornado pilots clambered out of his machine in... in, uh, in in pyjamas. <laughs> well, we had this conversation about cowboy boots recently, didn't we? <laughs> um, I, I'd be surprised. I'd invite him for a chat, definitely. <laughs> and, uh, and 
you know, the funny thing is, I guess, uh, I guess the way most people would think is that I wouldn't necessarily think, you know, what the bloody hell he's wearing a set of pajamas. I'd be wondering what the backstory behind it was. Well, he was, he, well, he was hungover. Well, I, presumably he would be, which, uh, you know, which would be the issue. There's a, uh, a mutual friend of ours that I, I won't mention his name, but he's got a uh, he's got a fantastic story of the. So every year, each RAF station will have a summer ball, <clears throat> which normally, uh, you know, just like any um, I was about to say any ball you normally go to. I don't know how many people go to balls. I've just happened to have been to to one uh, every year of my life that I've been in the Air Force. But, uh, you know, they get dodgems along bouncy castles, you know, that sort of stuff. But you're in all your finery and uh, they go on a while. And uh, there's always a sort of breakfast for the uh, survivors the next morning. And this friend of ours, um, he he was on quick reaction alert the next day. So he went straight from the ball to quick reaction alert. And as they were running in, they got a shout. So he quickly got dressed up. Um, the, the way they handed over, he rushed out to the aeroplane, got airborne. I'm not going to even tell you the aeroplane type either because clearly this person will be identifiable. Um, and as it happened, so they went up, I think it was against uh, Russian bears. The bears turned around or did something else, so they didn't get to intercept them. But when they came back, the station commander was there when they landed. And as this individual unzipped his immersion suit, it was obvious to everyone he was still wearing his number five with bow tie and uh, medals and everything in the, uh, <laughs> underneath and wasn't actually wearing the fireproof uh, flame retardant get gear that you're supposed to. So that will get you into trouble, am I correct? Yes, he ended up on someone's carpet for that. Wow. <laughs> right. Okay then. Well, let me move us on because uh, you know listeners might not think it, but we do somewhat plan these kind of right ish. Yeah. Ish. Ish. These so are like, these are like well-oiled machines. We've been on script the whole time so far. Exactly. <laughs> so I was doing what I do because I'm a little bit of a nerd, and I was, I was reading. I think I was reading Wikipedia, and I was reading about uh, the. You se- must finish that by now. Oh, I, I completed. I uh, know it's it's about reading the updates now, more or less. Um, I was reading about the Sea Vixen because I thought that, that looks like a nice aircraft, twin boom, nice and pointy, so, so on and so forth. Then I was reading, right, it was basically a fleet interceptor, except for two small problems. It had no lockdown shoot-down radar, so it'd have to be literally or near enough at the same level as what it was trying to intercept. And also, it couldn't shoot anything which is oncoming, and it had really short range. So it'd have to get up, get behind something, and then get down basically to sea level in order to shoot whatever it was it was after. And this struck me as a terrible, terrible idea. And I'm just wondering, throughout all of your aviation experiences, have you come across anything e- equally as badly badly thought out as that? I guess, Dunk, uh, you and I wait for Parky to talk on this one. <laughs> I don't know, exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> you're going to talk about the aeroplanes I've flown have been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to flow them. I just need to Pardon? know about them. What was what was the uh, what was the radar like in the Harrier, Dan? It was excellent. <laughs> I tell you what, you could actually you could shoot up, down, left, right, whatever you wanted. Did, did they forget time. to put one in it? It was full 360 parking. <laughs> it was. Hey, absolutely no problems with that. Paul, wasn't it the wasn't it the javelin? That was um, 
Britain's first all-weather interceptor, um, and the radar didn't work in the rain. Is that right? <laughs> uh, that's what I heard. Well, Porky, did you ever fly with Blue Circle radar? Uh, well, no, I mean, the, the one that got the bad press was the Tornado F3, but by the time I got to it in 91, they just, it was the Fox Hunter, and they they done this mod called the Z-List. I've been clutching at straws now. But essentially, the track was scanned, and it was beginning to work pretty well by then. It was it was definitely the F4 radar that I came from, the Phantom one. But the yeah, radar, it, wasn't it, the F4? Yeah, when it, when it first came in, the... Uh, the F3 radar was pretty pretty pants, but um, yeah, it's like a lot of the the way the the RAF you know they get equipment. But by the time they you know it came out of service, it was it was brilliant, you know, with data link and it was it was very good. But you know, I, I'm it's kind of not how you'd want it to work, though, is it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You've hit the nail on the head. You're absolutely right, Parky. But you're right. We kind of get aeroplanes that are a little bit crap, and then just as they're going out of service, that actually the Harrier was that you. Know, a prime example of this it was you know it was a fantastic platform um for close air support particularly uh, over in afghanistan and the upgrades it had had were were great it put it in a really really uh, good position it was just a fantastic platform and we retired it <laughs> so but when it when it came in it could hardly do any it hardly had any of that yeah. capability well um, going back to blue nice to get an airplane that's great when it arrives but F, uh, genuinely, F-35 is that. Um, yeah. That thing has got a massive amount of capability straight off the bat um, and is only going to get better. So I think we're doing it the right way around this time. But JB, did you uh, you mentioned Blue Circle. Do you know where that story came from? Isn't it because the concrete brand is, is Blue Circle? Yeah, because the early ones in the F-2, as they, got into the, as they entered into service, didn't have... Um, <clears throat> serviceable radar, so they used to have to put ballast in the front rather than the radar, you know, just to make the uh, the weight and balance work. So uh, I'm sure it wasn't a uh, you know a builder's bag of blue circle <laughs> cement, but that's where it got the name, the blue circle radar. I do love that idea, though. And Parky may have even flown. You didn't, so you didn't fly the F2, did you, Parky? No, 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 no. It was. I mean, that was sort of. I think that was late '80s, wasn't it? Maybe eighty-seven, something like that. But uh, oh, yeah, I, I mean, just a bit, as a kid, I was always really excited about the, uh, you know, the F two, the F three. Um, it was the auto wing sweep thing that got me. Where you know people had said uh, the books I'd read said you, you had to manually sweep the wings in a, uh, in a, in a gr, but uh, an F three had auto wing sweep, which sounded like the coolest thing on the planet when I was, you know, a teenager. I, yeah, we weren't allowed to use it though. Really? Why not? I don't know. It was definitely it was not allowed in the release of service. The Saudis used it. They 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 used the auto wing sweep, but RAF, no idea why we had to manually do it. Well, you never thought to ask. No, it was just. <laughs> what, what I remember was that if you, it was kind you of never like, really gave it much thought. <laughs> <laughs> the, the switch was definitely there, but it was uh, it was kind of a bit slow. So in other words, there were various speeds that you had to observe. But if you were fighting it as a fighter and you hit a merge, and as you slow down, you basically wang the wings forward and put your bum on the manoeuvre flap and slats that should have been automatic as well if it wasn't but essentially if you put it in the auto it was just slower so you know it would 
And then clearly, if you had the wings back and you're pulling and you've gone a bit slow, it would bleed speed even even worse than it did bleed speed, <laughs> which was a lot. So, uh, <laughs> you basically, it, it just wasn't as efficient as if you manually did it. That's what I was told. Ah, so, <laughs> so you never actually used it, even though it was in the airplane and you never used it? No, always. And, you know, the F3 display, you always just... <laughs> You know, your, your left hand was just constantly messing around with the the wings and the uh, and the the flap and slats because again in, in every other jet something like that as soon as you pull a few few units you want these you know the the wing to produce a bit more lift so uh, but it was just manual in the uh, in the F3 so yeah you were you were just constantly messing around with the, those two levers. Wow. Well, so, yeah. was it, so Parky, on that on, on the display, was it quite busy then? Because uh, you know, having I didn't fly the Typhoon display, but I've flown, you know, that that sort of profile in the sim, and and obviously with the Typhoon, you don't have to do anything. You just pull the stick back, and it does its stuff. Um, put the throttle where you want to. Were you maneuver flaps and slats and wings and all of that all of the time? Yeah, so manoeuvre flap and slats. So the, the thing that I can remember was, I mean, I just did one pass where I popped the wings back. There was no, I didn't do anything in sort of 45 wing or any of that. So it was either fully forward or fully back on the wings. Photo but wing. If, yeah, but if you did any inverted stuff and you inadvertently kept the flap and slat out, that was bad because bizarrely it was quite good you know, completely clean the wing, flying upside down. It was it was all right, but you wouldn't want the flap and slats deployed upside down. So, you you know, and I, I once did it, I remember, at 500 foot, I forgot. And it was fine, but it, I just had to push way more than I had to, you know, that was the norm to fly upside down. So, yeah, you, you definitely would, you know, manoeuvres in and out constantly, yeah. Excellent. Boys, you must have heard of some other bad aviation ideas. Well, wasn't there, um, uh, was it the vampire that we saw at um, Farnborough? Uh, yes, yes, we did see the vampire. It came into land. I think it was either the vampire or the venom that didn't it have some sort of death dive if you had the flaps and the air brake out at the same time? Oh, I don't know. Is it? Um, yeah, or the Mitchell, was it? But there was, or, hmm. yeah, you're right. There's, there's one of the early jets because there was a crash about that, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the early jets did have their foibles, didn't they? You know, the uh, <clears throat> even the, the, the Harrier, if you've got the, uh, the big barn door flaps um, that you used for slow, uh, slow flying, slow takeoff, slow landing, that sort of thing. Um, if they sensed in the early days, if they sensed there was a, uh, an imbalance between the two flaps that they were either withdrawing or extending, uh, at a different rate, because that would then cause a rate of roll, they, they then automatically froze. But then if you were putting the nozzles, if you had the nozzles down and you were putting them back, and the, uh, and when the, the jet wash then impinged on those flaps that had now stuck, it produced an uncontrollable pitch down. And we had a, a friend that, um, I think he was the first to survive it, actually. I think it had happened what? a number of times. When you took off in the Harrier, um, you would, for a short takeoff, these flaps would be deployed. Um, you'd trundle down the runway at whatever speed, about 60 or 70 knots. You would, at full power, pull the nozzles down to about 50 or 55 degrees. 
the aircraft would leap jetborne, uh, and then you would translate into uh, airborne flight by slowly rotating the nozzles backwards again. Um, and as they rotated, as they impinged on these flaps, if the flaps had stuck, you got this uncontrollable pitch down. And of course, you're just off the runway at this point. So you're only a matter of feet. And a number of American aircraft had had this um, and the pilot had died. He hadn't got out in time. Uh, or if he had got out, he'd <clears> been <throat> then crashed into. Because, of course, he's then ejected <clears throat> along the runway oh. with the aircraft as a fireball coming along behind. Now, isn't this... Um... So, wasn't this because the US Marines were using very inexperienced pilots to start with? No, it's not really to do with that. Was it's it just not? it's a very is it <laughs> there's there's not much I mean, we trained for it in the simulator um because once it became a a, a known uh, a known problem. Uh however, uh, we had a friend um who was on the squadron on 3 squadron and it happened to him and he was the first to survive. He ejected as the aircraft oh was nose down in the vertical. Um and he 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 describes it as he thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die. So if you can imagine as the aircraft um, is pointing with its nose pretty much on the runway. So he's looking down the runway as he ejects and he saw the canopy above him shatter. And he thought, oh, that's me hitting the ground. I'm going to die. But then realized then as he went out on his seat that, oh, he survived. And then as he went out on his seat and the parachute um, pulled him out of his seat he then hit the ground and that hurt and as he was looking backwards then he could see the jet then this fireball coming towards him and he thought oh, oh. that's it I'm going to die um, but luckily he just went left the jet just went right and it went scooting down one side of him um, and he ended up um, you know with broken legs and you know badly injured but alive there on the runway with the jet having passed him and ended up in a in a fireball, you know, down the down the runway. I remember so it, a... I, Dunk. I remember him saying it was um, it was like the last scene in Die Hard Two. You remember when he uh, he yeah, lights yeah. the fuel and the uh, yeah. aeroplane crashes? He said it was like the last scene in Die Hard Two coming at him down the runway. Yeah, I mean, flipping. with two broken ankles. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness man. me! So I mean, he was so. So I think you know, as design flaws go, that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we're probably. You know, JV, all aircraft will have their, you know, quirks, stroke issues. And, you know, Eric Winkle Brown must have flown some absolute gods in his car, you know, where he went. They just never got, you know, did a bit of test flying on them and went, no, these are just shocking aircraft. You know, we've tended to got, obviously, fly the ones that, that made it and were deemed successful and good. I was chatting to JR just uh, just yesterday at uh, down at Duxford, and he's flown the Lysander. Put about six Ooh. hours on it, you know. The, yeah, yeah. There's a warden, but this the, the new Lysander. It's going to Goodwood apparently. He's going to fly it in there, so it looks beautiful. And you know, I was on. You know, what was it like? And he'd flown a Lysander about twenty years before. But they're, they're great aircraft. You know, they were sort of used for the special ops, and you know, very just you know taking boys SOE operatives into sort of France at night. But he said this thing is kind of all pretty much auto slat and the flaps does some, you know, automatic stuff. So it comes down automatically. And then you, it's crucial that you trim it and keep trimming it. So on the approach, but if you overshoot, it's an absolute nightmare. If you put the power on too quickly, it will just pitch up into an uncontrollable pitch up a bit like the Harrier done. Well, that was nose down, but this is nose up. Yeah. And he 
came up with some story that some mate, essentially, whatever reason, hanging around in his Lysander. And it was just good pitch up. But he bizarrely managed to get it into a turn. And it just ended up doing this back turn round and round at about sort of three foot until eventually he managed to sort of trim it down and get it all squared away and sorted. But it was the most impressive thing everybody said. He's, <laughs> he's definitely dead. But he managed to survive this one. But, you know, and that was a that was a great aircraft that was, you know, used throughout the war. But, you know, just an example of just, a, you know, a, a very critical bit that you had to handle it right at a certain stage. Yeah, I was watching I was watching a YouTube video just the other day. There's a there's a I think it's a you know, it's a company super stall that it looks a bit like, you know, the Cubs that they fly with the enlarged wheels out in yeah. Alaska. Have you ever seen that where they land on the beaches? Oh, I version... saw this today. I saw yeah. this today. It's amazing. Yeah. So I saw a version of this and they, you know, they've got these massive almost tractor tires that are uh, underinflated, if you like, which is part of the cushioning as well. These big undercarriage that are a bit like the stalk that we flew at, at a warden. And the video as well shows the automatic flaps and slacks, which is purely air pressure that brings these things out. You know, I think actually I think the Messerschmitt had, you know, auto slats at the front, um, yeah. you know, which which came out when it needed it. But um, exactly the same sort of technology. And I, funny enough, I did think about trimming and then putting power on and getting into, you know, running out of stick control in it, because that must be a, it must still be a thing today. Sorry, God, is it, are you talking about the video where the where the plane throws itself off a cliff? No, the, um, uh, oh, I do know that one. Uh, I was watching I, I that, that today with the massive with the massive tires. It literally just throws itself off a cliff. Have it had yeah. enough of life? Uh, it just it, it over the top down the podcast. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> End of. Assess it. <laughs> It's one of those stole, um, you know, I think that's a super cup, that particular one, Duncan. He just rolls off the side of this hill in Alaska somewhere. And, you know, by virtue of the fact he's now pointing downhill with more than 40 knots on, just flies away from it. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, and it, uh, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll probably come out with maybe a long list. But it, the we, we used to speak about we love to see. A, a mosquito on the Battle of Britain memorial flight, or you know, even just flying in the UK would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, but talk the that there was. I don't know exactly what the facts and figures are, but there's certainly uh, a period with that aeroplane. Um, so so we discussed that if you lose an engine on takeoff, you run out of you don't have enough rudder authority to compensate for the uh, for, for the the adverse yaw that's created. Um, and she'll just spin and crash and uh, and that's it. You're done. Um, and it's just a known sort of right from that speed to that speed that you can't do anything about it. Mm. Well, uh, Starfighter, JB. Yeah, I was about to mention the Starfighter, the F-104. Um, 25% mortality rate. See, I wonder if they got extra pay for being Starfighter pilots. Oh, I, there is not enough money to make me get into it. Get into a starfighter. Have you well, ever seen one the fight? thing is, though, JB, that's the difference. Is so there is a bit of, <clears throat> you know, we spoke about the young being fearless. Yeah. And the fact is that when you're looking at that rocket and going, "Well, I can fly this," you're not <laughs> thinking, "Ah, twenty-five percent die." You're thinking, "I'm the seventy-five percent." Epic. I'm getting in it now. It's amazing. So. 
because obviously it had its very small wings, its turning circle apparently was horrendous. So uh, what these to say is I'm banking with the intention to turn. <laughs> Where did you read that? Oh, God. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, go with Wikipedia. I have no who idea. Would they, who would they say it to? I've got no idea. I uh, don't know. The black box, the cockpit voice recorder in case they didn't come back. <laughs> yeah, uh, no idea. And I, I'll tell you another one which I found which I found, found out the other day, which I think is very, very strange, is the MiG-21. Uh, apparently they had different speeds depending on which fuel tanks are used. So you've got a, a belly fuel tank and you've got wing fuel tanks. But the wing fuel tanks can dispense fuel quicker than the belly fuel tank. So as soon as you went in onto the belly fuel fuel tank, you effectively limit, uh, limited your speed. Yeah, okay. Mm. I think there's so many aeroplanes with just little things like that, JB. You know, um, I mean, even the uh, even the Hurricanes, the way they're modified on BBMF, the the um, uh, the tanks and the way you um, feed the fuel on the tanks with the uh, with a little switch. I was always worried about that the first time I, you know, first few times I disappeared away from uh, from Coningsby. And, uh, you know, you had to switch over to one tank and there's no fuel gauge. You're waiting for a light to come on. And, you know, the, uh, I can't remember which way around it now, but the light would flash, wouldn't it? And they yeah. then go steady and then the engine would cut out. <laughs> so that was the time to turn it onto the uh, the other tank. I what, never actually took it to engine cut out. But, there's um, no fuel. Sorry, there's no fuel gauge on a Hurricane. Not for the overloads. Yeah, yeah. those were overload tanks. What does yeah, that so mean then? The, or the, the three tanks were gauged, but where the ammo used to be put, they put um, 12 and a half gallons dunk a wing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and that would give you about, each one would give you sort of, you know, 18 minutes of flying. But as God has said, they just weren't gauged. So you would, you had to do it when you, you know, as a, a low workload part of the sortie. So some sort of, you know, between Coventry and somewhere or other, you go, oh, I'll use my overloads then. And you put this funny little switch on. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
on and check that the engine kept going and then hit stopwatch. And then 18 minutes later, you'd just be looking for the flashing <laughs> light to start appearing. And you could check the bulbs on them, couldn't you? So you'd constantly be pressing those to check a bulb on. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. about, about 10 minutes in, you're just constantly pressing bulbs just to make sure it happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good fun. Uh, so, well, I mean, it, I think it was what a couple couple of episodes. We even spoke about like the Jaguar couldn't pitch. Uh, sorry, what could it not do? Like, fly. well, I, we we were saying that it, it couldn't um, fly. Couldn't um, <laughs> roll and pull at the same time. That's the one. Roll and then pull. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I really like these little um, idiosyncrasies, which seems to be built into aircraft. Because I just can't, I just can't imagine for the life of me why they didn't test it before they put it into service. No, I think they did test them. It's just, um, you know, by the time you got to, to that sort of... Which is even um, worse if they did test it. Yeah, they would have tested and found out these sorts of things. But there's so much stuff that you can only do a certain amount of testing, especially during, uh, during the wartime. And so you might not actually find that part of the envelope that's, uh, that, you know, could be a bit spicy. Um, they always talk about that the F-16 had, I think it was a single generator when it first came into service. And they soon realized after a spate of generator failures that they needed another one. They had another generator in there. There was some weird thing that used to happen that both of them failed. So they ended up putting this hydrazine generator in, um, which was a sort of get you home. Um, you know, this this hydrazine battery would fire and it powered the flying controls for, I think it was about 10 minutes, Parky, 10 to 15 minutes, depending on um, <laughs> how uh, how nervously you were wanging around the stick and the flying controls. But that allowed you oh, to wow. dead stick you know, a dead stick and F-16 into, you know, if you could find an airfield nearby, you were never going to land one of those in a field. But there's, I was about to say hundreds, but there are tens of occasions when someone has saved an F-16 over the years by dead sticking it into a, uh, onto a runway. Now, hasn't the F-16 got another safety feature? I think this is really, I mean, it might not be new now, but what, it was new to the F-16, which is if you were to pass out, it automatically le- uh, levels out. No, that's generally that's a, a new thing. The sort of auto ground collision um, type uh, type technology. It wasn't ever uh, if you're going to pass out. Typhoon has got an auto recovery button on there, so you know you're in cloud, you're upside down, the things aren't looking right. You can press the auto recovery button, and suddenly you're you're back the right way up again. God has got all... one of those as well because he often faints like Basil Fawlty. <laughs> no, I, I used it in the Typhoon the whole time, recovery. mate. <laughs> oh, I thought it was for pilot. I thought I'm sure the F-16 one was. Uh, I I I assumed it was for pilots passing out, but obviously I'm I'm completely wrong there. Hey, no. Before you end, but just I'd just like to say, Goddess, that what a lovely descriptor you use there. Things getting a little bit spicy. I like it. <laughs> I was going to say suddenly the cat's standing upside down on the canopy. <laughs> And you play. I might be upside down. Yeah, and the, <laughs> yeah, and then like your playing cards and your spare changes there, and <laughs> yes, de- de- devastating stuff. Hey, now just to go back to what we were talking about initially, um, we were talking about the uh, the, the two seat spits down at um, the uh, historic flight down at Biggin Hill, the and uh, yeah. the heritage hangar. Yeah, and we got there were some lovely photos that Smithy sent through yes. yesterday. I just thought it was worth mentioning. When we were talking about Jeff, um, God rest his soul, um, I thought it was worth, we were talking about the few, and uh, but, uh, Smithy sent through this fantastic set of photos 
of him taking 99-year-old Archie McInnes, who is a Battle of Britain uh, pilot, uh, flying in the two-seat Spitfire. Um, and there's just the most wonderful picture of Archie with the biggest grin on his face. Just absolute wonder. And, you know, I, um, I, I think everyone that has seen the pictures will agree he looked younger than Smithy by some margin <laughs> because it had just taken him back to when he was a boy. It's just... Certainly had a smaller nose. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was just great to see the, uh, you know, those... Parky, you know, have you, uh, I, I guess, you know, given, as you were saying, you've, you've flown, I guess hundreds of punters uh, now in your tour guide role. Yeah, well, uh, um, well, you know, the, the other day, um, Dunco, the, uh, there was a, a French mate, I sort of met him the day before, and he was saying he was flying, and he, I mean, he was, he was a translator, but, you know, I, I sounded like hello, hello, sort of speaking to him, but essentially, his, uh, his dad was the last uh, French Spitfire pilot, and, and he passed away about three years ago, called Andre Rose, and it was Alan Rose who I flew with. But he brought his logbook in, and it was the same thing. It was just utterly brilliant seeing the mates, RAF. He was 329 Squadron, which right, was yeah. French Squadron, yeah. and did, uh, you know, 99 uh, offensive ops and about 15 defensive escorting, you know, uh, lanks and stuff. But he did all the way from sort of, you know, pre-D-Day, he flew twice on D-Day, and then all the sort of landing strips right up through to sort of ended in Holland in Feb 45, um, and then uh, and then went back to uh, end of the war. He was in uh, in Scotland, bizarrely, but you know he he, he spat out four locomotives and loads of trucks, no no airborne kills, but just that bit of history. It was just wonderful. Just never heard of this guy, but really fascinating, you know, seeing it and speaking to his son about his dad and everything. But uh, yeah, it, 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 th those are the bits which are, are really special and completely out of the blue. Yeah, very cool. Did, uh, did uh, I tell you that, uh, I can't remember I've, I've said on the pod the story of when um, myself and Prov took the two Harriers into Cannes and we met this... Um, sorry, French. as in Cannes as in the French Film Festival Pro. Cannes? Yeah, that, that one. You talk two Harriers to Cannes? Yes. Awesome. Not, Please. Not the, not the not the Quasette. There is an airport next to it. Um, but... <laughs> they, they took them down there for the film festival. <laughs> That's how we rolled. That's sort. Well, yeah. strangely enough, I'm just looking through the media. Uh, it wasn't it, a waste of taxpayers' money. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm just looking through the media on the pilot pilot episodes pod WhatsApp group, right? And uh, I'm literally on the picture now of Godders in a film premiere with a Spitfire. So it wouldn't surprise me that much. <laughs> and he was on the royal flight back home, on the uh, on the Spitfire, um, yeah, that had been landed very roughly in the uh, in the street behind. But this, um, and apologies if I've told it before, but this 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 old French guy comes. So when was this? This was about ninety six, ninety seven. And this old French fella comes up when we'd landed, and he goes, "Hello, I'm French. I was in the air force oh, and yes. spoke exactly like that, almost in received pronunciation." And we went, "Really?" Anyway, when I had a drink with this guy. And he had fought in and around the Battle of Britain. I think it was after the battle. And he had the most amazing stories. But the one that always sticks with me was uh, he was on uh, flying at the Biggin Wing. And they'd all been invited to London on a stand-down day because one of the, I don't know whether it was Supermarine, I don't know whether it was Vickers, um, had 
uh, had put someone's going to tell me they're exactly the same company now um but the uh, there was the thousandth kill or hawker possibly um so it must have been a couple of years into the war thousandth hundredth five hundredth whatever it happened to be and uh, they'd had this it, it, here we go this is full circle because it goes back to what you were talking about at the beginning jb but he said he got at absolutely bat-faced woke up <laughs> under a bed somewhere in london at about six o'clock in the morning and thought bloody hell i'm briefing in an hour and a half um he mentioned he, there was a couple of girls in there with him you know he'd obviously had an amazing night got back to biggin hill and as he walked around the corner holding his parachute there was a couple of guys. So this must have been a bit later on because they'd just been in a briefing. Um, so it must have been, where did this guy live, Parky? I don't know whether this could have been the same guy. So they were going over to, uh, they were going across to France. And he said, uh, what are we doing? He said, well, uh, here's the radio frequency, you know, just keep up. So he ends up, he's absolutely hung over like a dog, has had no briefing as to what they're doing. So he just takes off in formation had written down the radio frequency or had screwed up his radio somehow, so didn't get to speak to anyone. And at some point over northern France, everyone just disappears. They all break away. So he just ends up flying squares in the sky, you know, not flying level for more than 10 seconds in the combat area, just looking around the place, can't see anything. So fuel goes down, ends up coming back landing back at biggin hill he said he was sweating like anything his head was absolutely killing him when he got out he said to one of his mates what happened he went oh that was amazing wasn't it he said well, what do you mean he said well that's the most measuresmiths we've seen since the battle you know what an amazing fight did you see what was going on this and that and you know we lost johnny and he hadn't seen any of this and it was exactly the point you were making earlier that he's hung over in the middle of France, having had a belting <laughs> night out. But he did say, had he got shot down on that day, he would have gone down happy. <laughs> well, I've got it's a astounding, question. isn't it? What was he doing under the bed? I don't know. That's stuck. Of the girls, a couple of girls We've all the been there, mate. We've all been there. <laughs> when, when, <what laughs> don't go the there, Gus. Come on, maybe he was chivalrous and hiding from them, given up his bed space. But that part of the story always stuck with me. It'd be amazing to if that was the same guy, Parky, if he only died a couple of years ago, um, yeah. that that you flew his son. Um, yeah. But yeah, flipping amazing. He had a good log book, put it that way. It was very cool. Hey, as we're talking about veterans, I had one, I had a miserable day on Monday. It was a day chained to the desk, uh, and uh, that's every looking, day for me, Doug. Ugh, miserable. Uh, but the one ray that the chink of sunlight that came in was that uh lynn who uh, um does our um admin for us she uh, came and she said oh i've got a 96 year old gentleman on the phone who is a lancaster radio operator would you speak to him and uh so i i i, I answered the phone and it turned out this chap was a, a, a guy called squadron leader abraham garrett and he was, uh, as you said, a Lancaster radio operator. Um, and he was calling because he was doing, he's going to do a Battle of Britain, although he wasn't in the Battle of Britain. As a veteran, he's going to go to a Battle of Britain dinner and do a speech down at Holton. And he was trying to find out, because he said it took him seven months to go through training. He was trying to find out how long it took to go through training now. But of course, 
things digressed and we just started chatting about all sorts of things about the fact he flew tiger moths at saskatchewan over in canada uh, on the frozen wasteland and he said tiger moths he was telling me they had tiger moths with enclosed canopies um but they found out they had to um take those off eventually because they were getting carbon monoxide poisoning so they they ended up you know in minus 20 or whatever it was oh. flying open cockpit tiger moths over in saskatchewan and then he um he flew york's and he flew, uh, he did the Berlin airlift. Um, so we were, uh, we were ditting on for some time. And sadly, someone came to the door. Anyway, he's probably still. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he's, uh... I used to say excuse to me. Like, so... <laughs> I've used that one too, Parky. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it was, uh, it was fantastic. It was just things like that that come out of the blue. And uh, you, you get to, to to chat to these guys. He was talking about signing on at Lords and what they, you know, all sorts of stories. As you were as you were saying, God, it was uh, it was a, a privilege to talk to him. Hey, talking about two seat Spitfires as well. Did any of you guys watch Flying Across Britain with Arthur Williams on Channel Four? No, you mentioned that last time. You didn't see that. Oh, no, I didn't either. I wish I. I, I it, it's, on, uh, yeah, it's still on catch up. catch up. Everyone out there needs to go and watch it. It is. It's such an amazing guy. So. Um, uh, Arthur Williams, uh, he was an ex-Royal Marine. Um, I think it was who broke his back in a car crash. So uh, he's paralysed from the waist down. Is in a um, is in a wheelchair. But after he left the Royal Marines, got a got his pilot's license, and he's got this absolutely beautiful cub uh, that's modified for him, where with a um, obviously because he can't use the rudders and in a tail dragger like that you're going to need to use the rudders a lot so he's got this amazing stick down the left hand side you know um that sort of sticks up and it looks like it's got a little handbrake device on the on the side i guess so that he can keep rudder in and be able to take his hand off of that and, and use the throttle as well but i had a twitter conversation with him about it um because i just thought the 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 programs are really, really well done. The, f the first one, he flies into Compton Abbas, and I guess you guys may have done fly pass down there, but one of the most beautiful air little airfields in the UK, you know, on the top of this hill down in Dorset. And yeah. on episode two, I think, he flies in the Heritage Hangar Spitfire from Biggin Hill. And you should see, again, the grin on his face as he's throwing this thing around down by the Isle of Wight, uh, not the Isle of Wight, by the, uh, the White Cliffs of Dover. But a absolutely brilliant program on general aviation where he just pools around the country. The Scotland one, just amazing. Shows me, you know, just reminds you why you love flying up in Scotland. But a definite, you know, people are people talk about our little book club on Twitter. Well, three people do. But that is definitely a program. <laughs> All three of our listeners. Yes, that is definitely a program that, that you, all you guys need to watch as well if you haven't seen it. Right, we're on. Cool. That's it. Just um, butts up, butts that book club idea, right, gents? Um, I know you give me some great ones for World War Two. Has anyone got any good ones um, about Vietnam by any chance? Chicken Hawk is a, a is a book I read when I was younger. I haven't read it for a while, but that was about uh, helicopters in uh, in Vietnam. I think I remember you saying something about this. Yeah, you know, um, again, one thing that stays with me that is, you know, trying to bounce one of these Hueys into the air, which is massively overloaded, trying to get some forward speed on it. Um, but I seem to remember that being a good one. Um, help me out, boys. What uh, sort of fixed wing books? I must. Uh, because there, there, must, there must be. Uh, there must be some. And it's not very fashionable, I don't think. But there must be some out there, 
written from the Vietnamese po- point point of view. Because I was looking up their kill ratios the other day, and considering what they were doing and who they're fight- fighting against, they're mighty impressive. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I tell you what, let, let's go and research that, and we'll on the next pod, we'll um, we'll just come out with a couple of books. Um, Parky, Dunk, can you think of any at the moment? Have you yeah, read? Uh, it's, it's, I haven't read any about Vietnam. I have to say, I I I, I don't think I've read any about that. As, uh, Robin Olds's um, aut- uh, biography is absolutely amazing. I mean, there's a hero fighter pilot, absolutely revered in the US. He fought in the Second World War in the Korean War and was the um, uh, the wolf pack wing leader in uh, from Thailand in uh, in the Vietnam War in F4s. And, you know, people would have followed that guy to the ends of the earth. The mm. most amazing moustache as well. Um, <laughs> you know, just a full legend. But, uh, and so his biography is, uh, is worth a read and, and talks about Vietnam as well. Um, but we'll get back to you on that, I guess. Mm. Right, Should we well, do some questions? Yes, I, that's exactly what I, what I was going to suggest. Now, here's, here's a good one from our old pal Ian Savage, who said, um, if there was a choice... Dogfight in World War One or World War Two, which I think is a really interesting question. That is an interesting question. I mean, crikey! Do you know? The thing is, it comes back to um, survival aspects. I think because you know, if you know that you're going to have to go and fight, you'd I think prefer to fight and have more of a chance of surviving, even if you get shot down. Um, and when you look at what those guys were doing uh, in World War One, in terms of, you know, they had no protection at all on the aeroplanes. Uh, and they were, they were literally um, within a num- just a number of yards of each other to shoot each other down. Um, it, it's effectively, you know, running around with machine guns with no cover. You just have to, you know, maneuver that aeroplane. Um, and the chances are that if you get shot down, you're not, you haven't got a parachute to jump out with anyway, because that was seen as cowardice. Yeah, were so they, they didn't have parachutes. Were they even using pistols? Flames with your aeroplane. So that sounds a bit miserable to me, doesn't it? You know, it's one of those things that uh, I think, given the uh, again the performance of the Second World War aircraft with the Spitz and the Hurricanes, etc., and the fact you at least had a parachute, I'm going to go. World War Two. Paco, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and I guess as well, you know, we're so lucky to have flown what we've flown, but I can't exactly just the the slowness and the vulnerability of those little World War One. I've never flown anything like that, but just having seen them, they're they're tiny, you know, and yeah. and boy, did they used to get in close. I'm sure it was, as you say, you know, literally thirty foot or something. They'd be uh, they'd be in. It'd be just ridiculous. Yeah, World War Two. Yeah, I'm going World War II as well. Just I think all of us have got those emotional attachments to, to those aeroplanes. And frankly, I, I, I like a bit of cover from the elements. <laughs> uh, I, I like going to war with a bit of air conditioning. Just out, just, out of in, uh, just out of interest, do the RAF still have anything like a Sopwith Camel knocking about? Is, is that in the collection? Not airworthy. Not in yeah. the, the airport. The Shuttleworth collection has got all sorts of uh, both World War uh, One aircraft 
It's even got pre-World War I aircraft. I mean, that is an amazing collection as well. Yeah. And if, if you can get along to one of their um, air shows, if you're lucky enough to have the weather and see everything flying from the box kite all the way through. They have the Lysander that um, uh, Parky was talking is about that, earlier. Sorry, is that the black Lysander? Yeah. yeah. I know the one you mean. Yeah. So, I mean, they have just got the most phenomenal uh, collection. Um and uh, I got, I went along there. We were invited, uh, but so CFS was invited, and myself and uh, Finn Monaghan, who was the commandant at the time, went along. And we did have, we were lucky to to have one of these fantastic days. And I got very fired up about uh, about all of those aeroplanes, and uh, I knew some of the guys down there. And uh, so um, I, I said, well, you know, perhaps I, I could come down and uh, and be part of it. Uh, and they said no. <laughs> <laughs> you're too experienced mate so uh, <laughs> so that was that um, they don't want the skull crusher <laughs> can you under, can you imagine that <laughs> so uh here's a question from this is wilf at wilf 157 um <laughs> this is almost damning by faint praise i still have to catch up on the earlier episodes but uh can you answer which can pull more G, a fast jet or an aerobatic aircraft like the Edge 540? Ooh, hang on. Before you go on to it, explain to me what an Edge 540 is, because I have no idea. We thought you'd read the whole of Wikipedia. Got to be a combat <laughs> aircraft. I'm not really interested. <laughs> no, it's a little prop aeroplane, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like an extra, won't it? You know, yeah. aerobatic I think they can pull more. Yeah, I think it's just, it's... they. The, uh, my understanding on that one would be they, you know, when you pull G, you bleed speed, you're creating so much drag. So they can instantaneously pull, God knows, 10 G or whatever. Yeah, 10 or 11, but, I think. Yeah, but they wouldn't be able to sustain it. Whereas a typhoon at low level will sit at 9 G until its fuel runs out. Or you or you compress into a small OXO cube. Yes. Or your back snaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your back snaps when you stop straining. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I've just looked up H540, and it's is exactly what it sounds like. You know, sort of Red Bull, um, you know, air racing type machine. And I, I was, I just happened to be watching the Red Bull air racing on TV the other day because um, do you see Ben Murphy got a, um, uh, you know, had a really good result uh, yeah. just last week or the week before, um, and they do talk about it was. Uh, um, Paul Bonham had flown, it was an older one, but Paul Bonham horse for the TV beforehand and was talking his way through it and mentioned, here's a 12G pull-up as he pulled up around the corner. So instantaneously, exactly as you say, more than a fast jet, but there's no way near that they're sustaining that. Wow. Lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see Mason's face with 12G. <laughs> I went in the uh, when you go and go down to the centrifuge. Um, they uh, they take a video, uh, look, you know, looking straight on. <laughs> they give you this video at the end, which I've got. I'll see if I can uh, do some sort of uh, fettling to uh, to send you a, a, a copy of it. But uh, oh, I look angry. <laughs> <laughs> I looked 193. I look like the emperor out of the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Uh, um, right, so uh, here's one. Um, oh, this is from uh, David Wookie, who we met at, um, at Farbra. So uh, clearly not you, Parky. Um, although there is one on here that says, it's one question. It says, where's Parky? We miss him. Um, 
That was for me. Yes. Ever flown an aircraft in the microlight uh, category? Uh, remember when we spoke, I mentioned training in a C-42. Now, I have. Have you, have you boys? I've flown a... What, what's... Uh, what are they? It's not a microlite. It's a... Um, you know, we got a wing and you have to... When you... Hang glider? Get, uh, what are they called? Uh, hang gliding. JB just Hang glide, yeah. yeah, but a powered one. Yeah, that's exactly what I've flown in. That's a microlite. Yeah, that's yeah. microlite. It's like okay, a tent so, uh, frame with a... Yeah, yeah. But, but no stick or anything. It was kind of like, yeah, you, I was hanging under this thing and... You, you see, know. I don't think that's a microlite. Oh, I was sat in a, you know, in a little body, uh, you know, a little fiberglass shell underneath that wing. It was in a two-seat one with a with a prop on the back, and it was when yeah, I was. That's, uh, a, that's a microlight. Yeah, yeah. I, think well, I was holding down it. It's like a powered hang glider of some sort. Isn't it? Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, I think it sounds similar. It was definitely a pushy propeller thing, little tricycle under the carriage, and oh yeah, so same thing. A great big bar that you sort of. Did you enjoy it, Parky? Yeah, I did. It was, it was, it was quite good fun. It was just some mate just went, let's do it. And then the weird one was when I was at Blackpool, as some mate took me up in an auto gyro, just completely spontaneous. That was ridiculously brilliant fun. Auto. Have you seen JB? Do you have you seen the auto gyros? I I have actually. Yeah, they're kind of are they like semi helicopters? Is that what we're looking at? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that the engine gives the forward speed, you give the blades a push, and it's then the forward speed of that aeroplane that that keeps the blades spinning and provides the lift oh, from, right? the, uh, from the disc. You know, famously, oh, what was the name of the guy who who flew Little Nelly? Yeah, in, Ken Wallace was it? Ken Wallace. Yeah. That one. Yeah, because Tony Tony Cooper flew with Ken Wallace. They were both on their ninetieth birthday. And they yes. were flying in, in one of his That's autogyros. Right. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm just looking um, on Google now at microlights. They they seem remarkably accessible, remarkably accessible actually. They are, and nowadays they're you know you can get a microlight that'll do, you know I, I might be plucking it out of thin air, but I think you know they'll do 180 knots. And yeah, then, you know, on a ridiculously um, sleek-looking machine, so it's fast, uh, it's cheap. They are, and they're, they're as you say, they're really accessible. Yeah, so yeah. I th- there's an awful lot of microlights that you just think are, you know, Cessna or Tutor-type aeroplanes, but they're ultra lightweight, aren't they? And I think they're in the microlight class because of the weight category. Or maybe, you know, not being a GA, uh, general aviation expert there, but... Um, it, it does make it a lot more accessible because they're so much cheaper to fly. Yeah, so they're going, go, they're going from 300 kilograms. I started flying at a, uh, at a little place just north of Pranois. So my friend Rod um, said, Will you, uh, you know, do you want to come and fly my aeroplane? So I started flying a little Piper Clipper from, uh, from uh, a little place called Temple Brewer just north of uh, Cranwell. And um, it's, a, it's a lovely little place and... Um, there's, you know, it's sort of, again, back to the good old days of flying. And there's just a bunch of generally sort of older fellas. Um, and one of them's got a microlite like you've just described, Goddess. Um, and he said he's got 5,000 hours, wasn't <laughs> it? You know, he's... Hang on, 5,000 hours? That's, that's, that's a yes. huge amount of... I mean, for anything, 10,000 hours is oh. Bill Gates. <laughs> so... Yeah, he's pretty good at this. But, you know, he's, um, 
it was great. You know, just comes in, pulls his aeroplane out, goes flying around a bit. So, that's what he does. So, gents, I've just looked it up here. They are between 300 kilograms for a single-seat land plane to four to 472 kilograms for a two-seat. And that has a parachute system on it, too. That's nice to know, isn't it? Oh, that is good. That saved quite a few people. Yeah, yeah that's he's got, he said he's got... the same amount as you, don't. I was going to say it doubles its weight when he gets in it. <laughs> Tell the, you what. Uh, this guy is the same thing. I was looking around this this microlight of his, and yeah, it's got a parachute on the top. Um, I thought he'd put some amusing sticker on there, you know, like an ejection seat sticker. Keep well clear. But actually, I said, oh, that that actually is a uh, it's a you know it's a, a might not be a rocket, but it's some sort of charge that blows the parachute out, and he just floats gently to the ground. Oof, don't want to be pulling that. Well, uh, why, don't we accidentally. Mi- why don't we go micro-lighting next summer? Oh, we're in. I'm in. Let, let's I'll give go. it a go. Looks like you just rock up to uh, a field somewhere and they Temp- give you a machine. Temple Brewer, we're going there. Yeah, all right. Hey, Shall we have one final question then? Yeah, go on then. And this is a belter. I do like this. This is from a very good mate of ours, Christian Gleave. Um, oh, my word. Who, and this is a good question. I'm trying to think frantically on this one. What soundtrack would you most like to fly to? Oh, God, that is such a gleevy question, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, oh, I, I can't think of anything. I, I, clearly, I, it, uh, I'm institutionalised because I can only think of one vision so, from Queen so- because of uh, what movie was that? Iron Eagle. Highway to the Danger what? Zone uh, or the Magic Roundabout. Who was the one? <laughs> <laughs> what was the one that you told talk, talk, me about, Dunk? You told me about someone who... Did he compose a song and his mate wouldn't play it or something? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was the... I think we've spoken about it before. Yeah, we definitely Harry have. Play pilot. Who, was that, who composed was that his Chris? Own. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and uh, he he, uh, he comp- composed his own and then uh, Dan Stutch put on YMCA <laughs> as he was hovering down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Dunk, do you remember, Dunk, when we were on the Reds? I'm sure you're there. And we landed, I'm sure, at Shawbury. And, and uh, Joe, you've seen kind of the Reds taxi. It's kind of like nine aircraft, and you just follow the leader, and you're all bunched up together. But essentially, Spike took a wrong turning. So we ended up going completely around. <laughs> following I the- thought you were going to say it was like the band on Animal House that all go up the one-way street. Well, it's kind of like that. So we go around, and I don't know, I'm sure it was Dan Simmons. He quickly must have got his phone out, Googled this tune, and then <laughs> transmitted it on the radio. So if you can imagine the Reds, and we're all just following, and we've got lost, and we're just going around, and he got the Benny Hill theme tune out. <laughs> and it was utterly, you know, and it was just, we were crying with laughter. <laughs> Uh, I don't, uh, what soundtrack would you have? I well, think you know, the, the only thing that, for every dunk trip. The, <laughs> the, the only thing that uh, that I can think of is was it the Good Morning Britain one on the Gulf War, and they had the Bon Jovi uh, the Bon Jovi song on that. Was it I'm a uh, steel? It's on a steel horse or something. I'm a cowboy or something like that. I can't remember what the song's called. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Do you know the one I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a belter. I, I always, uh, you're, you're always humming Eye of the Tiger when you go out to your plane dunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has to be something like that that gets you fired up. Do you, know, do you know the only thing that I would listen to whilst flying an aircraft? 
Go on. Pilot episodes pod. Yeah. <laughs> over yeah. and over. On, on repeat. Yeah, that's, that's probably not imagine the amount of crashes there'd be as you glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if you if you were going flying, JB? What would you listen to? I guess you don't have time to listen to music because you you're busy recording five thousand podcasts. Do you know what? To 5, it's one of the few things I'm just not into. Doesn't do anything for me. Don't don't own any CDs. Don't really have any playlists. Don't do anything. Don't, so if you useful. were a professional rugby player, you wouldn't have your beats on listening to some music firing you up before you oh. hit, that scr- hit that ruck. I'd have my beats on, but I'd probably be listening to myself. You'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, make a good advice, pilot. There you go. Uh, well, hang on, just, just, just a follow-up question on that then. When you are flying, are you allowed to take like an iPad, or sorry, not an iPad, an iPod with you back in the day, or your phone, or something to listen to? There's no, no no entertainment system, is there, in a uh, in a um, typhoon? No, no, you're, the, no, you're not allowed. Bizarrely, in the F3, you used to load your root data via one of those old cassette things. Cause it was oh, you did say, yeah. And there was a, a C90. Yeah, there was an audio on it because do you remember one mate had a, a burst of nose wheel because he was listening to Dire Straits or something, but and it was bad. It was very naughty, but I do remember. One time after a joy mission, it was sort of dawn, and we were on a break, and we put the wings back, and I think it was bat out of hell we were playing on the break. <laughs> all, all we felt good. <laughs> so presumably... As well as our book club, we've got a playlist now that we need to put on Spotify. <laughs> so presumably... Oh, my God. Presumably, right, when your friend burst his wheel landing the, uh, landing the F3, right, did, um, did they listen I back... don't think it was just a burst wheel. All oh, right. Well, well, whatever he did, did they go back to the hot pit recorder and then listen to the music? Yes. It didn't, I can, it didn't go well for him. I can no. only imagine. Didn't eject? Uh, yes. What? So, so just I tell me. Did that for a burst tire parking? So he stuffed the nose wheel up through the airframe. They were listening to Dire Straits and they burst a tire. I was right trying out. to make the story sound a little bit better. So what happened then? <laughs> they they land this aircraft, and then what? Yeah, it was a sort of it was a pre-arm thrust reversey thing where, so with the tornado you had thrust reverse, so you you would you know like jets airliners have, so you can power up to help you stop. But if you put the pre-arm thrust reverse and you're still flying, or the nose wheel still in the air. Clearly, the massive deceleration caused this thing to smack itself down onto the ground oh. and, and essentially break the nose of the aircraft off, oh. which is, which is not a way of landing. And you never thought to turn off the tape player. Devastated. <laughs> it's all gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a that was a major that was a major error there. Not not you know not the landing. It was a tape player. Oh. I once uh, I was. Because we, th- you, you know, you do. Th- it, 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 we were going over and doing, uh, you know, trails across um, the Atlantic, and you'd end up a long time just sat on your own, and you think, right, well, what am I going to do? So I, I thought, right, well, I'll, I'll take some, you know, some that I can put in my ear, and at least maybe listen to some music. But the trouble is, is that it's just so noisy in that bloody aeroplane anyway that it, it was. Not, I, I tried to get them into my ear. Couldn't hear anything anyway, and took them out after about ten seconds. Uh, so, but the tornado was is so much quieter, isn't it? It's just a, a actually a beautiful, beautifully quiet, smooth airplane to fly in. Very quiet, yeah. 
very, very quiet. That's its yes. one claim to fame. Very quiet. So, if you're um, <laughs> if you're flying next to each other in two two single seat aircraft, do you just open up some sort of radio channel and and you know, dit away? Yeah, you, I mean you've got a radio, yeah, frequency so you can transmit to each other. Yeah. Hmm. But obviously the comms is always completely professional. There's no way you'd ever say. Yeah, there's no pu- there's, there's no pub quizzes or anything. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> excellent. Believe us, JB. Uh, well, I, I've got I've got some I've got some reservations. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, right. Have you got any more questions? Is there, does anyone want to say anything else? I'll say something else. Uh, I mean, we. I hope we will do an, another podcast before this date, but we're going on the A380 simulator, right? Yeah. Looking well, forward to that. Away. If we haven't done another podcast before then, then we're slipping a bit. Because I know it's been holiday season, but we've been a bit naughty. We have we? been we bad. Been for flipping ages. Yeah, yeah. true. So this is our first for, for a while, so I think we need to sort of get back into it a bit, don't we? Yeah, exactly. So I know when, when I get to the A380 simulator, I'm going to be... Super excited! I I, I I I know that way in advance. And I've gone for Having seen you get into that Gulf Stream, we're going to have to strap you down first and wheel <laughs> you in like Hannibal Lecter on that. Um, or maybe on, put on that box trolley. Tight, big sponges to his arms and legs, <laughs> just so he doesn't <laughs> smash the thing up. Well, I also know Godfrey is going to be very very excited to go because that's the, that's that's the kind of chap he is. Uh, not sure about parking. But I just want to make sure, Dunk, you're not going to sit there and look as disappointed as you looked in 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 the Gulf Stream. Maybe <laughs> you will see just why he's called Skull Crusher. Continually like, grumbling. This is rubbish. Yeah, what is this? What is this? And the uh, yeah, why can't and, we? and why the can't lead we go salesman. Faster? Why can't we go upside down? Exactly. And the uh, and the yeah. salesman for all Northern Europe are saying, and it's based on F thirty five technology. Oh, is it? Oh, really? <laughs> Brilliant. I just don't think we need to get in the sim at six in the morning or four in the morning or whatever. Oh, JB, how about you and I just go? Exactly, exactly. Rather than listen to all all the misery. <laughs> we don't need a six-hour sim slot. That's all I'm saying. Six oh, hours is a long time. Can you imagine our three listeners what they would give to have a go on an A380? Listen to it. Oh, I can't get up at less than nine o'clock. Mason's oh. going to do a full transatlantic crossing or something. <laughs> I am going to fly yes, and then we're going to do Albania. the N- NG. I've told you. <laughs> so I, With an NG. I've got a feeling it's going to be relatively easy to fly, right? Because I think the, all these things are relatively easy to fly. That said, I think we should do some audio where we can do a, almost like a film scene. And you're going to fly me. You're going to you're going to talk me down in the aircraft with no prior knowledge of ever handling one. Well, JB, that is a, I, I love sweeping generalizations like that. That is just my. I think it'll be pretty easy to fly. Well, I think what we should do. We'll just. Well, oh, to be fair, there. it was you that yeah, told you me do, this. Mate. Your 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 description was yeah, mate. You just press a button. <laughs> That's literally what you said. Is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think you've got to program it first. Oh, really? Ooh. Well, I think so. I don't think you just press a button and it does it. Yeah, it, it reads <laughs> your mind, JB. Wow. This this, this sounds hey, easier than I really thought. You. My dad will enjoy this. Right, so in a, in a similar vein, um, when the Harrier was shutting down, the Harrier Sim, we got to be able oh, to take our, our, our family to the Harrier Sim. And uh, so my dad, um, I said, do you want to 
come have a go in the Harry's. And of course, he was like, oh, brilliant. So, um, he, and he's a, you know, he is a, uh, he's a bit like UJB in that he's a bit of a geek. So he's got flight simulators, he had a Harrier flight simulator. And so, uh, you know, in the same sort of sweeping generalization way that you've just spoken about, we got him in the sim and I got him on the aircraft carrier. So he was on the aircraft carrier and I was explaining, you know, it's just saying, right, this is how you're going to do it. And he said, I know, I know. I went, <laughs> okay, off you go then. So I just, <laughs> I let him, I let him go. And as he crashed off the end of the carrier, um, I, <laughs> rolled uh, upside down. Into the seat. <laughs> I, I, I reset him back on there and said, are you going to listen to me now? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he did then, to be that, fair. Did you, I'm, hope, I'm hoping to see a similar thing. Did we speak about this? Um, I, I have so many bloody conversations I can hardly remember. But did you, were you telling me that you set the simulations so that, that there'd be some, some, weird, some weird task, like you've got to drop bombs from a certain height and land before the bombs hit or something silly? That's yeah, the, that's, that's right. That's the yeah, Christmas they, charity. That's yeah, the one. Christmas, yeah. I think they do it in a lot in most Sims, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do at Linton. Um... Yeah, they do up at Lossie. They do at Coningsby as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Intercept Harry Potter. ID Harry Potter on a broom. <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay, you know. So, for instance, I think it's a fiver a time here at Linton. So you pay however many times you can do it, you know, and then all that money goes in the pot. And if you win, you get the you get the pot, and half of it goes to charity. Or you know something like that. So um, and uh, I've intercepted yeah. an X-wing fighter and the Millennium Falcon. Oh, and how did you get on? Oh, brilliant! Nailed it. <laughs> I, I still don't quite understand the Falcon the way that the guns work when they cl- they go out to a ladder, both climb up, even though they're going in opposite directions. But uh, I couldn't see that from where I was sitting on his wing. Ah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, well, I guess I guess our listeners can expect all. Uh, all, all, all those fun and games when we go to the A380 simulator then. Unless uh, Godfrey just wants to do a straightforward transatlantic, transatlantic flight. Oh, no, I'm in. No, I'm taking us to Vegas. Perfect. I Perfect. presume when you step out, there's a simulated Vegas just outside the sim door. <laughs> hey, yeah. talking about simulation, um, I'm next week. I am. So by the time we do the next podcast, um, I will have been to the United States of America. I'm going to go and look at a thing called Pilot Training Next, Ooh. which is they're looking. They've got a um, uh, a uh, a project where they are looking to see if they can train a pilot from scratch all the way through to F-16, just um, mostly on. Um, virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, there is a bit of life flying in there as well, but it's vastly reduced from from what um, most of the guys get. So we're going to go and have a look at that next week. That's and, exciting. Uh, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. So um, maybe I'll be able to have a chat about that uh, on the next pod. Yeah. Is that the one Donkey said you were going to Shepherd in Texas? Uh, I'm, yes, I'm going on there afterwards. Yeah, but that so that's a different part of the visit. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Ooh. Well, yeah, it does sort of remind me of when we went to Gulfstream again, back back, back to Gulfstream, and for the price that you paid for for the aircraft, they also give you two pilots, but they don't give you two pilots, do they? They they train up two pilots. Was that right? Oh, I don't know about that. I think you. I don't know. I like you've got to provide you your own. I was glazed over, like you said. Yeah, you've got to provide your own, uh, provide your own pilots, but they'll train them up. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if you just sent two absolute reprobates, <laughs> two seventeen-year-olds, two, two just dragged off, dragged off the street? Here you go, train them up. 
train these boys. I, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure that's how it works, JB. I, well, I mean, you know, that's what I'm assuming. Hey, look, if I've spent £70 million, I'll, I'll decide who, <laughs> who's going to fly, thank you very much. Well, I want a... 17-year-old with a tattoo across his face. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you said you said that you'd train him. Get him trained. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. Right, well... well on that, on that, on that bombshell. bombshell. Yeah, we've clearly, clearly run out of things to talk about. Yeah, we'll leave it there. So remember, follow us at Pilot Episodes Pod. Um, if you've got any questions, that'd be great. We don't have an email or, or anything, do we? No. No. You keep like saying you're Oh, up. yes. I tell you what, we all... Um, I'll tell you the other thing. We might have pilot episodes coming out on an alternative format. So stand by for that, because it might actually make the radio, weirdly enough. Is it Braille? (laughs) (laughs) 12-inch LP, mate. No. We we could all take turns rubbing Parky's face. That'll be (laughs) roughly the same. The pilot the time forgot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, join jo- jo- join us on Twitter at Pilot Episode Pods uh, Pod, and hopefully we'll be with you before the A three eighty sim. But if we're not, we'll see you there. From me, Dunk, and Godders. Oh, I'm Parky. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Well, well done, gents. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.